When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It is, I mean, there's cold, and then there's what's going on right now uh, in the Midwest, in Omaha, and in Lincoln. I mean, this is brutal. This is this is nuts. I mean, it's freezing. It's freezing out there. But if you're feeling freezing inside your house, you know what time it is. It's time to talk to your local Pella, Omaha, and Lincoln experts about taking a close look at your windows. You can save energy, and you can stay warm with... Windows from Pella that are properly installed, the patented Pella Wave by pros using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Well, we talked about kind of what can be bad with the cold weather. Well, what can be good with the cold weather is temperature Tuesdays. You realize that the temperature at 6 a.m. in Runzaland For the rest of February, on every Tuesday, temperature at 6 a.m. is the price you will pay for an original Runza sandwich when you purchase a medium fry and a medium drink. By the way, if you haven't checked these temperatures, I mean, they're like, it's going to be like a penny, going to be like a nickel, going to be like two cents. It's going to be cheap for you, so you need to take advantage of this incredible deal. Get out to Runza, take advantage of temperature Tuesdays, and while you're there, tell them your pal, Nick Ba sent you. Okay, apologize for being a little bit late getting this pod out. It is uh, Monday afternoon, taping this at about 1.30 p.m. Central Time. Had the Super Bowl last night. Got some thoughts I want to get into a little bit later on, but I wanted to fire up a uh, a, a three topics pod here because I got a bunch of interesting stuff. I got a Nebraska football thought. Again, I was gonna, I'm was i going to get into the Super Bowl for a little bit, but I want to start with Creighton. Uh, I want to start with Creighton. So, I remember when I was when I was a kid, like most kids, I, I loved video games. I, I played a, a ton of sports, but I played a pretty good amount of video games. Nintendo, Sega, Nintendo 64, uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, I, I, and one of the biggest games was Mario on the original Nintendo. And beating that game was a huge deal. I mean, it was an event, right? But of course, you had to go through all these levels to do it, right? I mean, it, it was tough. It wasn't easy. And you'd play and play and play and play and play and play. And I remember I got to where I was good enough to where I could finally get to that final level. Like it was huge, right? I'd grinded and made it to that final level where you could kind of see the finish line. If you remember, it was like a final epic battle with Bowser to save the princess. And you could like, it was like, you had like an out-of-body experience at nine years old when you'd like get to the final level and get to Bowser. You were like, oh my God, it's here. Here it is. It was crazy. Again, it was intense. It was exciting to get to that final level where you you battled the 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 top dog Bowser, right? But here's the thing: once you got there, once you got to that final level, it was all about that level. I remember once I once I got there, the rest of the levels and the challenges kind of felt like not as big a deal. They almost felt like a nuisance or uh, like uh, or something like that, right? Like the water level. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Come on. I already did this. 
I proved I could beat this level. I already did this. Let me get to the final level. I want to beat Bowser. But beating Bowser was hard. It was tough. And, wh- and what I found at times was when I had proven that I could I could beat all these levels and I, and I, and could get to the last battle against Bowser, I only wanted to do that. I was only focused on that that final step, that final level of beating Bowser and winning the game. So then what what would happen was I wasn't as focused or driven and locked in in those other levels. And I then I had a hard time even getting to Bowser. You guys remember that. You remember like the frustration, like you'd get there, and then you'd maybe lose to Bowser, and then you'd like do it all over again, and you weren't as like locked in, and then it'd be a harder time to get there. All But all I wanted to do was fast forward to the final level and that final battle with Bowser and, and try to win the game. To me, I think subconsciously, what I just laid out is, is kind of what is happening with Creighton this season. I don't think they realize it, but I think this group, Christian Bishop, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney, Mitch Ballock, Marcus Zagorowski, Sharif Mitchell, like I think this group on a weird subconscious level just wants to fast forward to March and the NCAA tournament. Because think about it. This group, on, on some on some weird level, like, they just did this. Like, what they're doing right now, they just did this. They just proved themselves in the regular season a year ago. They just proved that they can go through the regular season and they can win a Big East regular season championship. And it takes a lot of emotion and mental grind, and, and it takes a lot out of you to grind your way through the regular season. And they do that last year. They grind their way through the regular season, and then, boom. It all ends right before they can really go and do it big on the biggest stage. To get back to the uh, Nintendo thing, this would be like you grind and play and grind and play and finally make it to that final level of Mario and then the game freezes and Nintendo turns off. Ah, brutal. So now you got to start all the way back over. All the way back over. Like that's kind of what happened a bit with Creighton. Because then, like, you got to understand college basketball players, you're so focused, like... You're focused on the conference. You are. It's a big deal. But everything is about March in the NCAA tournament. And Creighton didn't get a chance to attack the final level of this thing. They got to it. They didn't get a chance to attack that final level of this thing. And, you know, I just, I felt this intangible, like, laser-focused, out-to-prove-a-point collective feeling from Creighton last year all season and in particular during January and February. Like last year's Creighton Blue Jays just felt like they were so like their level of focused and emotional like togetherness and they were ratcheted up. They were so on a mission from Tyshawn to Mitch to Marcus to Damian to like they were locked in to prove a point. 
They were on a mission to prove that they were the top dogs in the Big East. We can hang a Big East championship banner. They were on a mission to do that, and they did it. And I'm I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but it can be hard to ratchet that level, to harness that level of intensity and focus and drive again when you just did it. Because I'm just, I just don't feel that, I don't feel that with this team right now. I don't feel like they are just like, listen, man, buzzsaw, if you're in the way, we're coming at you. Get out of the way. I mean, there were games last year where Creighton just, I mean, hammered teams, ran to, like, they weren't out to just win. They wanted to embarrass you. It wasn't just winning wasn't enough. They wanted to prove a point and run you. They wanted to hurt your feelings. They wanted to tuck, make sure your tail was tucked between your leg as you walked off that floor, whether it was Butler at the end of the year, DePaul at the end of the year, uh, at Villanova, whether it was Seton Hall to win the crown at the end of the year. They wanted to kick your ass. And I just don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel that with this team. And I think it's, it's a little bit because of what I'm laying out. They kind of feel like they just did this. And it's, listen, man, it's an emotional grind to do it. It's a mental grind to do it. They, they feel like they just did this. And then number one, and then number two, they just want, they want to fast forward to March. AKA to go back to the Nintendo, the final level. They 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 want to get to March. And that's why I just don't think you I don't you haven't seen the same high highs with this team. That's why you haven't seen like the, there's been some inconsistencies with this team. And here's the thing, when you combine all of that with the pandemic, right? That's really challenging, getting tested every day, having to deal with the the, the fact that you have to be, you know, you're, you're locked into your dorm, you go on the road, you're getting food brought to you in your hotel room, you can't spend time with your teammates, you can't go out there and, oh, I don't know, meet a girl, hang out with your girlfriend, start dating somebody, go to a party, get any sort of relief, you get none of that. I mean, and listen, we're all having to sacrifice on, on our own individual level and you don't want to make your situation or someone else's situation more important or less important. But all I know, and if anybody's listening to this, you understand this if you've been to college, college is the social time of your life. And we are being asked to socially distance. Like, it's hard on these guys. So you combine the fact that they just did this with the pandemic, and they're wearing the target on their back now. Since they are the defending Big East champs, since they are have been ranked the entire year, they're getting everyone's best shot. They went from the hunter to now they are the hunted. And so it's it's hard. It takes a lot mentally to repeat as conference champions, to wear that target, bring it every night, like they did last season. That takes a lot out of you emotionally, mentally. And again, by the way, this is all happening during a pandemic that already takes a ton out of you mentally and emotionally. So that's how that's how I would kind of explain the Creighton Blue Jays to a certain extent this year and what we've seen. And you know, the other thing is. They've also, Creighton has also entered this, this, gosh, this weird, uh, there's like this select group in sports where you are, you are your own standard, 
where meaning you can't just win. It's got to look a certain way and and be at a certain level for people to go, okay, there you go. And we are all guilty of it. Me, I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of it. When Right now, when Creighton wins a game and it's a grinder in the low 60s, instead, instead of saying, hey, man, good job. Good job finding a way to win. We all kind of go, well, I mean, why didn't, why didn't they score 88 points and make 15 threes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we hold them to this weird standard of that that they created themselves last year. So I think it's, it's all of that. So the question kind of becomes then, as it's, again, we're taping this on February 8th. I mean, March is a month away. We're, we're, we're close to it here. The question becomes, can they kind of, can they turn it on in March? They've wanted, it feels like they want to get to it. Can they turn it on when they get there? Or can they start the process of ramping it up right around now to build up to March? Now, don't get me wrong. I, I feel like I'm like, this is still a really good team. But even, you know, for Fox, we, we can't go to shoot-arounds, but we have our pregame conversations with the coaches, but we do them via Zoom. And even Greg McDermott in our Zoom call on Saturday morning, so I did the Marquette-Creighton game in Milwaukee this past weekend, and we're, me and Tim Brando and our producer, Carol Langley, were, were Zooming with, uh, with Greg McDermott on Saturday morning, and even Coach McDermott said in the Zoom meeting, he, he said, you know, God, like the first thing he said, he goes, I just feel like we haven't played great. I feel like we haven't played great since the Seton Hall game at home, which was January 6th. I mean, that's over a month. And, you know, so even Coach McDermott's going to say, yeah, you know, we just haven't really, like, we haven't really clicked and and really played great. And, you know, you look at, at Creighton's last six or seven games, and, I mean, I mean, let's just go through it. Okay, they... On January sixteenth, they played they played poorly and lost at Butler, who's having a really down year. Butler's just not not overly they're young, they're not overly offensively gifted. Played poorly, lost at Butler. Then they come home, they lost at home to Providence and came out and were just asleep and got down twenty three to eight, could never get out of the hole. They then won a grinder against UConn at home. And not to take anything away from Creighton, but like keep in mind UConn doesn't have their best player, James Booknight, who had forty on him it at, at UConn. Like Booknight's a lottery pick. They, they then, Creighton needed a roaring comeback to win at Seton Hall. And listen, the, the, that game was close to Creighton losing by 15 to 20 points, but instead they, you know, and this is good. I'm not saying, like, they rallied and found a way to win. It's great. But they were really close to getting beat by 15 to 20. Couldn't really, they couldn't ever really guard Seton Hall the whole game. Then they go to DePaul. They were down late. They were down nine points late. At DePaul, who's the, you know, they're they're the worst team in the Big East right now. They needed a rally to win at DePaul. Then Georgetown comes to comes comes to Omaha. Georgetown had been on COVID pause for weeks, and they came to Omaha and scored 86 points and kind of just dominated Creighton from start to finish. And then even this weekend against Marquette, Creighton wins at Marquette, which is good. But what's weird is it felt like Creighton played pretty good. But somehow a shorthanded, pretty average Marquette team still had the ball and a shot down three at the buzzer that would have sent it to overtime and just missed it. So I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, if we talk about this Creighton team like they're a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Dark Horse, Final Four caliber team, at some point you got to start consistently looking like it. You know? like At some point it's got to start ramping up. 
Nintendo, playing Mario Brother. You, sometimes you just want to fast forward to that final level. Give me Bowser to win the to win it all, to win the game, to beat the game. I get this feeling like Creighton wants to just fast forward to March a little bit at times. Can they lock back in to the the other levels prior to Bowser in the final level to save the princess? Can they do that? Or can they turn it on when the calendar turns to March? We'll see. But it's yeah, Creighton's kind of had an interesting season, and that's how that's how I would kind of explain it. I don't think it's I don't, like I don't know if they realize it, but that's just my observation. Subconsciously, I think this team's a little emotionally mentally tired I think pandemic has a lot to do with it but I think it has a lot to do with the fact they kind of felt like they just did this and they want to get to where they they got last year where they can capitalize on the big stage in March that's how that's how I see it that's topic number one topic number two so I'm on my uh, I'm on my flight home from Milwaukee yesterday um and you know I I'd I don't know. For some about a plane, a quiet plane, I get my I get a lot of thinking in. I, I, I either watching film, uh, or just you know writing stuff down. I can t- I find I find a plane to be a good time to think. Some about looking out, seeing those clouds and all that stuff. You just you just it's calm. You can think. And I was thinking about the Scott Frost era through three years, and I was touched on this a little bit with Dirk Chatlin on my on on my podcast last week. Which, by the way, I had a great therapy Husker football session with about an hour long with Dirk. If you missed it, it's on the podcast feed. Go check it out. But I, I asked Dirk if there was kind of like, hey, is there one moment, one game that sticks out that that really altered things? And and we were talking about that, and that got me to thinking about the the first three seasons for Scott Frost under uh, for Scott Frost at Nebraska. You know, his record's 12 and 20, so, I mean, you got a lot of losses to choose from. But I, I, I put a pen to paper, and I, I said, okay, what are, the, what are the six defining games through three years with Scott Frost as a coach, head coach in Nebraska? Which six games have really defined and shaped and got us to where we're at right now? Because you know, not, all, not all wins are created equal, not all losses are created equal. Some carry greater weight and greater importance for whatever reason than others. I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote down like 10 or 11 candidates and I cut it down to six. Here are the six defining games through three years under Scott Frost at Nebraska. And I'm just going to go in chronological order because it's hard to like rank them. We'll start in year one, 2018, the first the first game of the Scott Frost year, the Colorado game. That game, first of all, anybody that was there, I was there. I was in the West Balcony with my with my family. Maybe top 10 Memorial Stadium atmospheres in my lifetime. It was, seriously, I know that may be good. Really? It was, it was like a celebration. Beautiful sunny day. Scott Frost's first game. The Savior's back. The, he rode it on his right hor- white horse. He's going to s- revive the program. Here it comes. He got an old rival, Colorado, in town. It was almost like a fairy tale that ended with a loss. And I think in some ways, I think right away, game number one kind of set the tone for losing close games. Now, I've... You guys know I've been a supporter of Frost, but I've also been willing to go there at times with, like, I thought Scott Frost did a bad job managing the end of that game. He he was too aggressive late. 
Uh, did a bad job managing the end of it. He didn't chew clock late when when Nebraska was up. Um, he threw the ball after a huge fourth down stop. That the, the Colorado tried to run an option and uh, and and Nebraska stuffed it and got a on fourth down and they took over the ball. Nebraska came out throwing the ball, threw an interception. They weren't chewing the play clock. And again, it. So I, I thought it was a it was poor management. And then I thought it also kind of set the tone for individual guys not making the big play in the big moment. Like, you, if you remember, J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan dropped huge passes in that game. One was in the third quarter, would have been a touchdown. That was either, I think it was, I thought it was J.D. Spielman. And then the other one was a third down conversion that would have sealed the game. Late. Dropped. I mean, Nebraska, you look at it, Nebraska rushed for 300 yards and had seven sacks and lost. So, again, to me, this game, kind of what's the, the legacy of this game? It set the tone. To me, it, it, it set the tone for losing. It spoiled the excitement of a dream day. And then the other thing was because I think of the mismanagement of things, remember at the end of the game, Martinez got hurt late in the game. You never know. I'm getting way into the weeds here, the butterfly effect. But I think if they if they manage things better, or Spielman catches that touchdown pass in the third quarter, maybe the situation doesn't call for Martinez to have to run late. And he remember he, the the there was kind of a dirty play by a Colorado guy late. Remember Martinez hurts his knee, which I think kind of set Martinez down the injury path that he's kind of never really gotten off that path. And it caused Martinez to miss the next week's game against Troy, and Nebraska lost at home to Troy. So, like, I think now all of a sudden you went from staring down the barrel of beating Colorado and feeling great about yourself, but because you didn't make the big plays, you dropped up some big passes, you mismanaged some things, all of a sudden now you lose and Martinez gets hurt, and you lose the following week because he can't play Detroit, and you're 0-2. So I think this game was, was – that was a defining game in, in the Scott Frost tenure. The other 2018 game at Northwestern. Th- this game was the, the real validation of, man, this program, this, this team – has absolutely no idea how to win. Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. And you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's fiberglass windows use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's vinyl window series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy-efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella products with outstanding structural integrity. Built from multi-chambered, fully welded frames and sashes, Pella's vinyl windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, 
Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth. Runza's Crinkle Fries. It's Runza's Chili Cheese Fries. That's some legendary Runza Crinkle Fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce. Let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it. Legendary Runza Crinkle Fries. Homemade chili, cheddar cheese sauce. Oh, my goodness. It's a side that eats like a meal. So there you go. Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Bob Podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries at Runza, and while you're there, I'll tell them Nick Bob sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. Like it was Nebraska's win probability in that game had to have been in like the nine upper nineties percent late. They let Nebraska let Northwestern drive ninety nine yards with zero timeouts in a minute and fifty seconds to score and go to overtime. 99 yards, no timeouts. And Nebraska had played well, came to Evanston, played well, really controlled the game. They're up 10 with five minutes left. But again, you're developing a theme here. You're going to see, like, when it came time to win, Nebraska completely melted. And it was a lot of the same stuff. Mismanagement, turnovers, couldn't make the big play, both sides of the ball. And I just think of all the demons of doubt seeds planted over the years was when Scott Frost took over of winning and confidence and all that stuff. I think of all the demon of doubt, uh, uh, demon of doubt seeds planted over the years, I think this game was set maybe the biggest seed of them all. This was the ultimate, how the hell did Nebraska lose that game? You know, we've all had that when you talk to your, your buddy or whatever, you tell him, like, man, how did Nebraska lose that game? Building up confidence has been a struggle for this team. Learning how to, for this program, learning how to win has been a struggle for this team in this program. And this game fell in those two categories big time, losing in Evanston 34-31 in overtime. Third of the six defining games under uh, Scott Frost through three years. 2019 Colorado. Again, old rival Colorado, incredible scene in Boulder at the stadium. Tons of red in the stands. A beautiful fall day. First big test to kind of build on the end of the 2018 season. Remember, you finish four and two in your last six games. Everybody's feeling good. Nebraska was hyped in that offseason. They're picked to win the West. And they took the field with confidence in Boulder, Colorado. It it was time to legit build on that confidence and make it real and validate some of the hype. And you go back and watch the game. Nebraska was awesome in the first half of that game. The defense just kicked Colorado's ass. The offense moved the ball. Nebraska was up 17-0 at halftime, and Colorado hadn't done a thing. And then all the all the issues showed up in the second half. Remember, delay a game to start the third quarter. Nebraska has the ball. They come out and they get a delay a game. On, a, I mean, they have the ball. How? Like, But we've seen that. That's something. We've seen a theme. Lack of organization. Sloppiness. 
Then special teams was awful. The kicking situation was really bad. Poor management with some play calling from Frost. The defense couldn't make the big play to get a stop, to get off the field. Nebraska blows the lead, loses in overtime. And again, it continued to eat away at this team's confidence. Like, I think this team had kind of, they started 0-6 in 2018. They finished 4-2. and They're feeling pretty good about themselves. They were ready. Like, the match was lit. It was ready for the confidence to explode. And <sighs> fire blown out. Confidence, gone. And it continues to set a tone of finding a way to lose and that here-we-go-again vibe. That we all feel like where there's that one play, something happens and you feel it sitting in your living room. They feel it on the sidelines. The players feel it on the field where they all kind of, they don't say it, but there's that, oh God, here we go again. Oh shit. We're going to lose this game, aren't we? I think this game is, is arguably the most impactful of that here we go again vibe. Next game, Ohio State 2019. This game is... And, and the degree of the beatdown and the stage it was on, I think, just hurt everyone's confidence. And it's a, it's a cautionary tale of getting an opportunity on a big stage before you're really ready for it. I, and it, I remember all the time, when I first graduated from Creighton, I bitched and complained. I'd, I'd turn on these college basketball games. I'd be like, man, I want to be on ESPN. I want to be on national TV. I should be getting these big games. I'm better than him. I'm better. Why am I not on? Why am I not getting those big games? Why am I not on the big networks? And you know what the reality is? I wasn't ready. I wasn't good enough. I still sucked. I needed to improve. The same can be said for Nebraska. You know, Nebraska fans were all guilty of it. They want to be. They want to kind of rush you. Be like they're back. They're back on the top. They're they're back ready for the big stage. And Nebraska just wasn't ready. College game day was there. Ohio State's in town. Lincoln was gorgeous that day. Had an incredible scene with you know Lee Corso and Reese Davis and Herb Street and the gang. Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union are the celebrity pickers. Frost is up there on the podium talking to the the guys that I mean. And Nebraska goes out on an enormous stage Saturday night primetime and gets pulverized by Justin Fields and Chase Young and that whole group, Jeffrey Okuda. For a program trying to build up confidence and whose confidence is fragile, I think this really hurt because not only did you get your teeth kicked in, it was on a huge stage. College game day there, D Wade, Gabriel Uni. I think I think this one hurt. Next game in 2019 of the six defining games in a, in kind of a bad way for Scott Frost through three years. Minnesota in Minneapolis, 2019. When you think about Minnesota, like this this was kind of someone was that was kind of a. Like you were on that, you were you guys were on the same level. Nebraska, Minnesota were were kind of on the same level. Like Iowa and Wisconsin were a, a cut above. Then there was like Minnesota and a handful of teams, and Nebraska was right there. And their similarities were there. PJ Fleck, young hot coach, hired by Minnesota. Scott Frost, young hot coach, hired by Nebraska. Both Fleck and Frost went undefeated at uh, at group of five schools. They both get to a Big Ten West program. Pro, both programs were in similar spots. Nebraska blasted Minnesota in 2018 in Lincoln. And then they meet each other 
on a cold day in Minneapolis. And Minnesota had kind of they had they had kind of barely won a ton of their games early in 2019 against some average group of five teams and even one FCS team. Nebraska had kind of mucked their way through the season up until that point. And it felt like a moment that the way this game played out sent both programs into dramatically different directions. Minnesota wins this game. Their confidence explodes. They go on to win 11 games and gain confidence in a big way. Nebraska loses this game, and how they lost, confidence plummets again. And this game was also about how the game looked. Nebraska got physically dominated. Minnesota ran it right up Nebraska's ass for four quarters and kicked Nebraska's tail the entire game in the trenches. It was a game, again, it was a cold night in Minnesota. And Nebraska looked soft and weak physically and mentally. And this was the, remember, this was the post-game press conference that spawned the hoodie comment from Frost, where Frost was upset that a, that some of the players took the field in warm-ups wearing a hoodie, and, you know, that drew the ire of a lot of people in an eye roll and, and all that stuff, and that kind of became a thing. But I think this game hurt big time for kind of, you know, the, the relationships and how certain teams are viewed in the Big Ten West and the way Nebraska views Minnesota and Minnesota views Nebraska. And, and it was a cautionary tale of, of just kind of this, this group's still a little weak, a little soft mentally, emotionally. And again, confidence. I mean, you get blasted like that, not good. And then the final game of the six defining games under Scott Frost at Nebraska through three years. Illinois 2020. I think that's the only game I want to choose from this year. And there's a lot of interesting when you could have chose Minnesota. You could cho- to me, Illinois 2020. The one thing Nebraska's had a hard time doing is, is stacking good performances, following up a good performance with another good performance. In, in the rare instance that Nebraska does play well, they haven't handled that success in the moment very well and and, and kind of just giving it right back. Kind of classic one step forward, two steps back kind of a deal. Because remember, Nebraska, prior to this game, was coming off arguably their most complete game in frost time at Nebraska. They beat Penn State at home. They got up big early. The defense then made some clutch plays to seal it late. Luke McCaffrey got the start. Nebraska won. There's tons of momentum heading into a uh, hosting a pretty average Illinois team with a coach who was on the hot seat and Lovey Smith, who was ultimately fired after the season. You got this young new quarterback who's maybe maybe now things are going to be different in Luke McCaffrey. This game, Nebraska was favored by double digits, and it kind of felt like, okay, here we go. Nebraska's going to start really building up confidence. Maybe Luke McCaffrey totally grabs the, the starting quarterback spot. The Blackshirts are going to build on a clutch performance against Penn State. Here we go, right? And the first play of the game just took all those things and flushed it down the toilet. The backwards pass on play number one from Luke McCaffrey made Nebraska kind of pee down their leg. Remember, it, it got Illinois the ball right at the doorstep, and they score a touchdown. So it, now, it, now it ruins Nebraska's you know, confidence that they have built up defensively. And in all reality, I think, I think that play ended Luke McCaffrey's career at Nebraska. That The first play of the Illinois game was the end, the beginning of the end of Luke McCaffrey at Nebraska. 
And it kind of was just set the tone for being par for the course that day. Nebraska's offense struggled the entire day, couldn't move the ball, couldn't throw the ball, turned it over, was sloppy. Nebraska's defense lost their mojo and confidence after that first play. The special teams was bad, gave up a fake punt. And whatever good vibes Nebraska had built up with that, with that Penn State win was completely gone now. And then Nebraska's confidence tank was back to E. Nebraska looked poorly coached, sloppy. The quarterback situation was even more muddy. And, you know, it just was it was not a good day at all. That's a that's not a very good team. Nebraska's favored by double digits to talking about Illinois at home, and they came to Memorial Stadium and just kicked Nebraska's teeth in. I think that game was was impactful as well. So those are the those are the six most impactful games that have kind of shaped things through three years under Frost. 2018 Colorado, 2018 at Northwestern, 2019 Colorado, 2019 Ohio State, 2019 Minnesota, 2020 Illinois. All right, topic number three. Um, so last night was the Super Bowl, quick Super Bowl reaction. I know you guys don't go to me for a bunch of Super Bowl talk, but I'll humor me for a second. I, you know, you, you obviously got to start with Tom Brady when talking about this Super Bowl. And the guy's 43 years old, just won a seventh Super Bowl, leaves New England, you know, and and goes to a, a, a Tampa Bay organization that has not had a lot of success in the postseason for really its entire, you know, the past two, three decades. And the guy wins Super Bowl in his first year. This is amazing. And so... <sighs> I usually I usually hate media on media crime and kind of talking smack about other media members. And listen, I got nothing against Max Kellerman, but I, I want to play this for you real quick. Like I found this; it's been floating around on Twitter after last night. There's this little highlight montage of all the times Max Kellerman has buried Tom Brady, claiming he's going to fall off a cliff, and it's all over for him for the better part of five or six years. In fact, the, the first clip in this little highlight montage I'm going to play for you was from July of 2016, I believe. I mean, just just listen to this. Just listen to this. Tom Brady's just about done. He is going to fall off a cliff. Tom Brady is going to be a bum in short order. He'll, he'll be terrible. Brady will go from being elite, maybe he's still the best, to cannot, can no longer play effectively in the NFL. It's going to happen in an eye blinking. I'm seeing Brady and the legs are going. It's not the arm, it's the legs. And there is decline here that people will notice, and I've already noticed it. Are we watching Brady fall off the cliff? Yes, we are. Thanks. Yes, we are. It, he is falling from such heights here. To everyone who said, Max, you were wrong about the cliff and da-da-da. Where does he rank in the AFC? I'd say dead last among AFC quarterbacks. I'd rather have Phillip Rivers. I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes. I'd rather have Andrew Luck right now than Tom Brady. Are we witnessing the end of the Brady and Belichick era? No, no. We saw that last year in the Super Bowl. That was the end of the era. The Brady that you know and love is not going to exist. He's not a top 10 quarterback right now. Apologize? Are you yeah. serious? Apologize. Of course not. Don't owe Tom Brady an apology. Everyone else owes Tom Brady an apology. Now, he is now, at this moment, one single game past the cliff. Now, Coffees. Has, has Max been talking about falling off a cliff for like two years? Yeah. yeah. For like two years. Two years. Time out, time out. July 25th. 2016. Oh. Go ahead. He got the date yeah. and everything, That's Max. That's the date. But since you opened your big flap, <laughs> you have been wrong ever since. 
I've said it. Damn it, the producers have said it. Fans have said it. Everywhere you go, it's like a damn virus for crying out loud. That's I would say I'm this. The, the fall has not been as precipitous as I anticipated. I have to revise my cliff prediction. What had happened was... What ha yeah, what had happened was I didn't know that they'd be playing flag football in 2018. Oh. It's That's the right. latest excuse. Ladies and gentlemen in America, I want to give Max the floor. Let him keep revising that. Y'all take it easy. I'm out. Keep revising the course. Well, you know why he was no good? At <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable, right? That's, that's, that's unbelievable to hear. And again, I don't want to like, again, I got nothing against Max Kellerman. I mean, I think it's that whole, the, the hill he's chosen to die on with that is just maddening. But like, and I, like, when you are in the daily sports talk world and you sit behind a microphone every single day, you are bound to be dead wrong quite a bit. I know it because I did it for 10 years. But this is sometimes par for the course with certain media members nowadays where you pick a side, you pick an argument, and you dig your heels in and stick with it. And even in the face of reality, facts, reason, logic, you stick with it. And for Max, Max to stick with this is just laughable. I mean, he's won like what three Super Bowls since that? Like claiming he's going to have, like. And listen, he's not the only one. Rob Parker of Foxy's he always says Tom Brady isn't the goat. He's the loat, the luckiest of all time. I mean, what are you talking about? Give me, give me a break. And what did, I think people allow for their feelings. And, and what they want to get in the way of reality at times. Tom Brady's still on the mountaintop. And just because you don't like it or you're tired of it doesn't make it not true or not real. Period. And it, it, it's, it, it also kind of speaks to just the interesting dynamic within the American sports media, too. We are really quick to want to crown someone, and then we are really quick to want to remove the crown. Like, there was some, some talk... And narratives heading into this Super Bowl, like, hey, listen, if Patrick Mahomes wins this Super Bowl, he's in the GOAT conversation. And it's like, whoa. It's like, this, this dude's like third year starting. Is, whoa, slow down. Like, you think he's anywhere even close to Tom Brady? Come on, man. Slow down. But it goes back to people being, you know, tired of Tom Brady or people in the NBA being tired of LeBron James so they want to anoint someone else. Ah, I'm sick of LeBron. We're going to anoint someone else. Like, I, I love Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo. I listen to both their podcasts every single week. I think when those two guys talk NBA, it's my favorite thing. But I remember before the NBA playoffs in the bubble this past season, they had kind of a, they were talking and previewing the playoffs, and they both said, you know, yeah, Giannis is the, uh, and Giannis is the best player in the world. What? Giannis is about huh? Then they even said, well, you know, if I if I could have any player on my team for a single playoff series, I would take Kawhi Leonard. What? <laughs> what? You're telling me you got Giannis, Kawhi, LeBron. They're they're warmed up, they got jerseys out, they're ready to go, and you can choose one of those two, and you're choosing Giannis as the best player, or you're choosing Kawhi for a series? What are you smoking? And again, I love those two guys. It's not to take shots at him or Max, but like they fell victim to it. Just because you're tired of it or even just flat out don't like it doesn't make it not true. I don't know what planet you're on, but on this planet, LeBron James is still the best player. And I don't know what world you're living in, but in this world, Tom Brady's still on top, period. 
You may not like it. You may be tired of it, but it's the truth. Hell, I even remember, I remember I was doing a, I, so I did Fox Sports Radio on the on the weekends for a couple of years, and I was doing a, a my Sunday Fox Sports Radio show with Dan Byer. Dan's a great guy, but this was an interesting day. Before, I think it was the 2019 season, the 2019 NFL season, we did a topic where, you know, hey, you know, if you could pick one player for just this one season to have on your team, who would, who would be your first pick? And I said Tom Brady. And, oh, God, like the roaring laughter from Dan Beyer and the two producers and our, you know, our, our sports update got like, I got la- like, laughter. Like, Nick, it's not 2000. It's not 2007 anymore. You know that, right? And they convinced themselves like they'd want, I want Carson Wentz. Oh, yeah, you really do? You want him over time, Brady? Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's just, but it's just interesting to watch stuff like that play out. Just because you don't like something or you're tired of it doesn't make it not true, doesn't make it not real. Brady is still on top. Brady is the GOAT, period. By the way, congrats to, to Indomitian Sue and Levante David, man. Pretty cool to see them win a Super Bowl and, you know, amazing validation to, to amazing careers. That defense was incredible for as much as, you know, Brady's the story and he was really good, but the defense was kind of the story of, of winning that game. I mean, just hold Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to nine points, amazing. Completely shut, shut them down. So, so salute to the Bucks. Congrats to Brady, Sue, and David. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Click that subscribe button. While you're there, give my podcast five-star rating and a review. Appreciate you downloading and listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.